As I mentioned during the welcome, during the season of Easter, we are going through a series that we are calling A Place to Call Home. One of the themes that we see over and over in Scripture is that we are all a part of the family of God, that we are to love each other as brothers and sisters because we are all children of God. Now, according to the liturgical calendar, the church calendar, today is known as Ascension Sunday. It always lands just before the Feast of Pentecost, which is the birthday of the church, and we'll celebrate that next Sunday. But as you'll hear in this story, this is the story where where Jesus ascends into heaven after Easter. Now, what's interesting is that this story occurs only in Luke's gospel. It's alluded to in Matthew and John. Mark makes no mention of it at all. Luke also retells the story with some slight variations in the book of Acts. Now, where we pick up the story, it's the evening of Easter. That morning, the women went to the tomb and discovered that the stone had been rolled away, that the tomb was empty. They ran to tell the disciples what had happened. Not all of those disciples believed, some doubted. And then that afternoon, two of those disciples were on their way to the village of Emmaus. They were talking about everything that had happened. They encountered this man that they didn't recognize, that they didn't, that they didn't realize was Jesus until they arrived at their destination and they gathered together at the table. And as he broke bread, their eyes were opened and they realized that this was Jesus. And so they ran back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples what they have discovered. And then one more time, that very evening, Jesus appeared to the other disciples and he stands amongst them and he says, peace be with you, which is sort of an interesting thing to say because there was no peace to be had that day. That was not their reaction. They were startled. They were terrified. They thought they were seeing a ghost. And so Jesus asked, why why are you so afraid? He shows him his hands and his feet and he says, it's me. Ghosts don't have flesh and bones. And then, as you'll hear, he reminded them. He helped them connect the dots. He said, don't you remember all of the things that I've told you? All of the stuff that was written in the law and the prophets and the Psalms? And slowly, as he spoke, they began to connect the dots, to put the pieces back together. And all of a sudden, slowly, perhaps, the light begins to come on. Today's reading is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. Verses 44 through 53. Here begins the reading. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the psalm must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem 
with great joy, and they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Here ends the reading. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So much has been written, much has been said by people much more smart than I am, much more articulate than me, about the decline, about the demise of the local church. Research came out a while back that said that one in five people in America are now associated with what we oftentimes refer to as the nuns. N-O-N-E-S, not N-U-N-S. Those people who, when they are asked about their religious affiliation, they simply check none. And the numbers of that group are higher than they've ever been. Now, if you pair the nuns and the duns, the duns are those folks that grew up in the church, that raised in the church, but no longer find that meaningful. And so they find it important to say that they are just done with church. They've walked away. Those groups, the nuns and the duns, they now make up the fastest growing segment of the population. So let that sink in for just a moment. The fastest growing religion in America is no religion. I mentioned a few weeks ago that a recent Gallup poll showed that for the first time ever, those of us who are religious in the United States have fallen below the majority for the first time ever. Now, for a lot of people, that is hard to take. They look back at the time now that exists only in their memory, a time in which the church was relevant, when the church was important. And they point back to the, to the good old days when you had to get to church early in order to find a seat. The church was influential in the culture, but now, now more and more so it is becoming invisible. My friend Chuck says that a lot of that looking back on the, on the good old days is, is unhelpful. What worked then doesn't work now. We're essentially comparing apples to oranges. And a lot of the blame... A lot of that is, is, is just the placing of shame on the younger generations, those that have left. He's right, of course. But this is, also, this is also, I think, an issue of fear. Because we are afraid. The world around us is changing, and, and we don't know exactly how to respond. We've lost the privilege of prominence, and it's frightening, and it's, it's scary. One of the things that I find most interesting is that in the beginning of the story that we just heard, the disciples are hiding behind locked doors. They're silently grieving the way things used to be. And then Jesus comes in and and reminds them that that what he had been telling them all along was bound to happen. That the scriptures say that the Messiah must suffer and and that three days later he would rise from death. And that this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins, this was to be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning there in Jerusalem, that their job was to bear witness to these things. He seems to be saying, that's your job. That's why you're here. That's that's the work of Easter. That's the work of the church, to, to bear witness And then the story goes on that that he led them out to Bethany, the place that they had gone multiple times, a place that they would retreat to just to find a safe place, a quiet place to gather their thoughts away from the threats, away from the crowds. And there he blesses them. 
And as he ascends into heaven, the scriptures say, and they worshiped him and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. This time, this time their joy is untampered and they worship him. And, they, and their, that worship leads them back to the temple where they are continually worshiping God, continually. The word there in Greek literally means through everything. Through everything, they are blessing God. At the beginning of the story, the disciples are hiding in fear behind locked doors, grieving the way things used to be. But at the end of the story, their their fear has turned into boldness. Their confusion has turned to conviction. Their troubled spirits have turned into joy. Their wallowing in self-pity and disappointment has turned into worship. But sadly, I would suggest that the church today all too often resembles more closely the disciples at the beginning of the story than the disciples at the end of the story. Frank Tillipaw has written a book called The Church Unleashed, in which he refers to the the fortress mentality of the church. And I think in some ways he's on to something, that the church, by and large, is more concerned with nurturing itself than with serving the world around us. That all too often we're more concerned with our own self-image than we are about caring for those on the margins, those on the underside of the power, on the, the fringes, the little, the lost, the least. That we seem to be more caught up in our own safety and in our own security than in faith and obedience. That we've become more preoccupied with ourselves than those on the outside. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor back in the 30s and 40s, and out of his Christian conscience, he spoke out, spoke out against the Nazi regime. Now, as you can imagine, this landed him in, in some hot water, and he was told not to preach or not to write, and so he went underground. And he would later be imprisoned in a concentration camp in Flossenburg. And just four days before the arrival of the Allied troops would come and and liberate that camp, he was put to death. In part because of what he stood against. One of the bravest, most bold Christians that this world has ever known. And he would write, the church is only the church when it exists for other people. The church must share in the secular problems of of ordinary human life, not dominating, but helping, serving. And so maybe the reason that the church has lost its way, has lost the power of privilege, is that all too often we hide behind locked doors, more like the disciples in their time of fear and unbelief than in their joy and boldness. So what if instead we were more like the church that God created us to be, a church that that stands at the forefront, that welcomes people, that, that serves people with open arms, the open arms of God's love and grace? What if we were more bold, more courageous? Eugene Peterson is a Lutheran pastor, and one day he was giving blood. And this often happens when you go in to to give blood. They ask you all sorts of questions. And the last question that they asked him was, do you engage in hazardous work? 
this pastor thought for just a moment and finally responded, yes. Well, the nurse looked at his collar and simply smiled and says, I don't mean that kind of hazardous. But that's exactly the type of work that we are to do if we are to be faithful. You see, we are called to follow the one who was killed because he was willing to to love the unlovable, to touch the untouchable. That we are called to follow the one who saw service as his true calling. That we are called to follow the one whose very life was his message. And with each act, he screamed the importance of being there for other people, most especially the lost, the little, and the least. We are called to be witnesses to the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. It's about living with a sense of of boldness, of, of fearless confidence, of trusting in faith, trusting in God, even if things don't turn out like they planned, like you'd hoped. It's about living a compassionate life. A couple summers ago, I had the incredible privilege of meeting an amazing family. They're dear friends of one of my best friends who lives in Kentucky. And I was back there and had the chance to get to know them a little bit and to hear their amazing story. And I was drawn to them and I wanted to know more about them. Well, recently that mutual friend sent me a video that that tells their story. Their church had put it together that they showed on Easter to show this congregation, their congregation, what Easter can mean what it's like to live with a, with a resurrected faith. So I want you to listen now to this incredible story. Living a compassionate life means that the right thing to do and the easy thing to do aren't always the same thing. My name is JT Henderson. My wife is Natalie Henderson, and we have four sons. Jacob is 19, Teddy is 10, Charinette is nine, and Joseph is two and a half years old. Our family story begins in 2009 when Natalie came to me and said, I think we need to adopt. This decision came on the heels of 18 months of infertility that was full of angst and anger at ourselves, at each other, and at God. Nine months later, which was a really fast adoption, through a series of miracles, we brought Tedros into our home from Ethiopia, Teddy as he's known. Two years later, we adopt Charinette, also from Ethiopia. Two years after that, we were lucky enough to get pregnant. And so we made a baby the old fashioned way. (laughs) And so Joseph was born to us. Two weeks after that, a young man, uh, Jacob, that I had been mentoring through basketball for the past four or five years, uh, called me. I thought he was calling to say, hey, I want to come out and see the new baby. He called me and said, uh, she got kicked out of my house. I got nowhere to go. I've got a backpack, a change of clothes, and I'm walking to McDonald's to try to get something to eat. I just don't know, who, who do you think I should call? Is there somewhere I could go? I said, stay where you are, coming to get you. Little did I know, you know, five minutes before that phone call was that was gonna lead to us bringing Jacob into our family. So in two weeks, we added a newborn, which we had never had. And then we bring in a 17-year-old who has his own history. When Natalie and I met, she was gonna be an English teacher in high school. I was gonna be a college basketball coach. We are 
so far removed from that life. <laughs> the typical 2.1 children and you know, you live in a house with a white picket fence. We are so far from that. I can't even imagine that life. Um, but that life was easy. It wasn't the right thing to do. It wasn't easy to adopt young black males in today's society. It's not easy for Natalie and I to give ourselves to careers that are just full of heartache. It wasn't easy to choose to adopt a child who is sitting on a waiting list simply because they were HIV positive. It wasn't easy to bring in a 17-year-old who had never had consistency, had never had a father. It's not how I would have drawn it up 10 years ago, but that's the great thing about our life. The way our family is and who we are and what we strive to be, we do that because he did it first. The Jesus that I know, the Jesus that I follow, cares little about easiness and he cares so much more about loving. Loving people among their hurt and loving people in their pain and loving people in the middle of their mess. Loving people like you, loving people like me. Isn't that amazing? I so wish that you could meet them. I, I wish that you could get to know them. A number of years ago at the Special Olympics meet in Seattle, there were nine racers in one of the heats of the 100-yard dash. And at the sound of the gun, the started pistol, off they ran. Not exactly in a dash, but with, with amazing smiles that showed that they truly loved and appreciated the chance just, just to finish, if not to win. One boy, though, stumbled and fell and, and rolled a couple times on the asphalt track, and, and then he began to cry. And when he did that, the other eight runners all heard his cries, and they slowed down, and they looked back, and then all eight turned around and went back. And one little girl with Down syndrome bent down and kissed his knee and said this, this will make it feel better. And then, and then all nine of those runners linked arms and walked together across the finish line. Everyone, as you can imagine, everyone in the stadium stood and the cheering went on for several minutes and, and many were weeping and cheering at the exact same time. You see, this group of, of angels unaware were, were able to bear witness to the fact that what matters in this life more than winning for ourselves, that what matters in this world is, is helping other people win, even if it means slowing down, even if it means changing our course. You see, for far too long, the modern contemporary church has focused on our own survival more caught up in our own safety and our security than faith and obedience, more preoccupied with ourselves than with those on the outside. And in that way, we've become this, this holy huddle that we are focused inwardly, intent on our own personal relationships with Jesus, focused on making ourselves better people. But the call of the gospel is to focus outwardly, 
to recognize that the blessings of God are to come through us, not just to us. You see, I believe with all that I am that powerful things happen when the church stops being afraid, when the church stops hiding behind locked doors, but it's when the church acts boldly, courageously, when it gives itself away in radical acts of service and compassion, expecting nothing in return. It's in those moments that the way of Jesus is most vividly put on display. Like my friend JT said, it's not easy. But the Jesus that we follow doesn't care about easy. He cares about loving, about loving people among their hurt, their brokenness, their pain, their mess. You see, when we do that, church, when when we do that, we, we taste grace in ways that we never imagined. And we rise up together and we give ourselves away. We give ourselves to God. And they worshiped him, the text says, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple blessing God. University Christian Church, may God continue to bless us as we seek to be a blessing to others. Amen.